You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, good morning. Has anyone made their New Year's resolutions? Anyone? Is anyone planning on making New Year's resolutions? You guys are like the first crowd. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, you know, today's the day where Planet Fitness's stock will go up. Um, you'll meet some new friends at the Y. Then they'll disappear a few weeks later. Weight Watchers, Nutrisystem, you know, uh, if you have stock in those things, you'd want to cash it in like two weeks from now. But it's New Year's, so we make some resolutions. The, the reason that we do this is because we're actually wired to long for uh, like a fresh start, a new beginning. This appeals to us. Hey, I can start over. No matter what kind of train wreck that year before felt like or, or whatever, it's an opportunity, clean slate. And so we make these decisions I want to give you a word of encouragement this morning, and this is really kind of just removed from the sermon, so this is free. Um, If you have like a goal this year, like I want to lose 15 pounds, or I want to read 10 books, or whatever it, it may be, and you don't have a plan, your goal is what I would call a fantasy. You you need a plan. Like, I'm going to lose 15 pounds this year by losing three pounds this month by not eating sugar and exercising five days a week. Some of you right now, you're going, oh, time out. (laughs) I'm tapping out already. But have a plan. And that way, when we're sitting here a year from now, God, um, by God's grace, uh, if that's the case, maybe Jesus will come back and we won't have to worry about it. Praise the Lord. But hey, if we're still here, you can go, I did it because I had a plan. So, but New Year's, I love New Year's. The reason that we make resolutions is because we actually enjoy the opportunity to begin again. And I wonder if we ever stop to think about the fact that we only have the privilege and the opportunity to begin again because we had the opportunity to begin in the first place. I mean, you can't begin again if you didn't begin already, right? And so this morning, um, we're going to talk about the beginning, not a beginning, but the beginning. We're going to begin walking through the book of Genesis together. Um, So I probably don't need to tell you where to turn in the scriptures, but just not wanting to assume anything, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. The word Genesis, the English word means origin or origins, but the Hebrew word actually means in the beginning. It's quite fitting, right? In the beginning. Now, Genesis, this is going to sound like a little bit of a Captain Obvious statement here. Um, As the first book of the Bible, obviously it's part of the first five books of the Bible. Yeah, right. Of course it is. It's It's part of those first five books because it's the first book. The Jews, 
refer to these five books as the law. Christians refer to these five books as the Pentateuch. Um, We call these the five books of Moses. The reason that we do that is because it has been long, long, long believed that Moses wrote and compiled these first five books of the Bible. Now, it's worth me pointing out to you, that's not the only idea out there. Probably somewhere around two, three, four hundred years ago, the idea began being submitted that maybe someone else other than Moses wrote Genesis. Um, I tend to believe Moses wrote it. Why was it written? Well, along with the other five or other four books here that it's attached to, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, why was Genesis written? It was written to remind, to teach and remind the people of God who he is and what he's done on their behalf. Um, It's to teach and remind this created rebel people that their creator and redeemer has done what he's done on their behalf in spite of their rebellion. To give kind of an overview statement, and again, this is a very broad sweeping statement. It's not exact, it's not specific, but I believe that it's correct. Genesis is an account of the call of God. Genesis is an account of the call of God. You're gonna see over the next weeks and months. And so that you know, um, we have split this series up into five different parts. And so like we will walk through Genesis during January. Well, in February, we'll be walking through a series called Foundations, answering questions like, why do we baptize? Why do we take communion? Why do we preach the word of God? Um, And so we will be in Genesis periodically throughout this entire year. But what you're going to see all throughout this book is that God initiates, God creates, God instructs and demands. What God does is God calls. God calls the world into existence and into being. We refer to this as creation. God calls us not only to himself, but to one another. We refer to this as the church. So Genesis is formed, it's written, it's structured around those callings, around the call of God. And again, what I'm about to say is not specific. It's kind of an overview, but again, I believe it's fairly accurate. Genesis 1 through 11, what we have in those books is God calling his creation not only into existence, but into obedience to himself. And then you move into Genesis 12 and Genesis 12 all the way through Genesis 50. What we see is God calling a people, not only as individuals, but as a nation to himself to be his special faithful people. Now, John Calvin in his commentary on Genesis noted that he saw these four overarching themes woven through the book of Genesis, and I think they're pretty accurate, and so I want to share them with you this morning. The first theme that he points out is God's self-display to us in the world order he created. You're going to see some of that this morning as we're in Genesis chapter 1. The second theme is God's goodness in making humans in his own image 
able to discern his glory in his works, to worship and adore him, to trust and hope in him, and find freedom, fulfillment, and joy in obeying him. The third theme, which we are probably and should not be huge fans of, but it's there nonetheless. The third theme is the ruinous guilt, pervasive perversity, and radical alienation from God that came on all of us through the sin of Adam and Eve. And and so that we're careful about how we tread and what we think. Don't get caught up in a conversation with somebody else where we we think, man, that stupid Adam and Eve. If Adam and Eve hadn't messed it up for all of us. Because here's the news for you this morning. You and I would have been Adam and Eve. It would have been us if it wasn't them. Okay? And so here's this, this guilt upon all of us. But then there's the fourth theme, which I'm a huge fan of the redeeming love of God the Father in initiating restoration, extending mercy and grace, and ultimately bringing his covenant to fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. All of this, all of these themes, uh, everything that we've talked about so far, all of this is centered on and anchored to God's promise of who he is and what he would do. So this morning, as we begin this journey together, what better place to start than the beginning? Look with me in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We could pretty much stop right there. In the beginning, God created... I want to say to you from the very, very get-go here this morning, um, not only is, is this morning, but this entire series, um, this is not going to be about a scientific debate. Um, first of all, because I'm not a scientist and I have absolutely zero legs to stand on in that conversation. Um, but you also need to understand that the purpose of the scriptures Um, On one hand, as literature, which I know that this is hard for some people to swallow because we, we want to look at the Bible strictly as divine, and it is. But you do understand that this is a book, and it's filled with like all types of incredible literature. So on one hand, the literature that we have written here in Genesis But more importantly, the motive behind its writing, it's not for scientific debate. This is not given so that we can form a scientific hypothesis of how that all happened. The scriptures are written to convey the life-changing truth that God is the one who created. The creator created everything. Everything out of absolutely nothing. And so the implication of this, if God didn't create, then there would still be nothing. You don't get nothing out of nothing unless you are someone that has the power to do so. 
Uh, again, uh, I have no, no uh, scientific um, education whatsoever to make an argument with you this morning. But I can tell you that the least educated scientists would tell you, if you give me nothing, I can't really get nothing out of that. Only someone who's a creator can do so. Okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Before God created the earth, earth didn't exist. Before God created the heavens, the heavens didn't exist. There was what the scriptures describe as void and darkness. So without God, without God's presence, without God's activity, there would still be void and darkness. And then the scripture says that the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So let's begin, and I don't mean like we participated in this, but Moses begins. We begin in Genesis chapter 1, establishing the Trinity. Because here you have the spirit of God present in creation. And what are we told the spirit of God is doing? That he's hovering over the waters. Well, when you look at this word, this is the same word that would be used to say that like a mother bird, an eagle is hovering over her nest of chicks. Well, why would a mother bird do this? She would do it to protect. She would do it to awaken them. She would do it to show them this is what you were created to do. All we know, we don't know what necessarily it meant that the spirit was doing, that it was hovering over the waters, but the spirit of God was not only present, but was active in creation. And then all of a sudden, what happens? God speaks. Verse three, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated. And that word separated is a verb. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So God said, God speaks. Something for you to consider and think about this morning. Um, why does someone speak? Why do, why do you speak? You, you speak in order to be heard. You, you speak because you believe that there is someone who either ought to be or is listening. God is establishing in the beginning and from the beginning that he longs to be heard. Now, please don't misunderstand what I mean by this. This doesn't mean that like in eternity past, God's been wallowing in self-pity, like there's nobody here to listen to me. So I'll just create somebody so they can hear what I have to say. Not at all what I'm implying. What this means is that God knows because he is God that anything he has to say is worth hearing. And so therefore he longs to be heard. And so God speaks. God says, let there be light. 
And again, what this tells us is someone else is participating in this activity with God. And we've already seen that the spirit is there. His first act of speaking is to proclaim, let there be light. I want to read to you something that Calvin writes in his commentary about this. He says, it was proper that the light by means of which the world was to be adorned with such excellent beauty should be first created. It was not, however, by thoughtlessness or accident that the light preceded the sun and the moon. Have you ever thought about that? God said, let there be light. He didn't say anything yet about the sun or the moon. To nothing are we more prone than to tie down the power of God to those instruments that he uses. The sun and the moon supply us with light. And according to our thinking, we say that they give light so that if they were taken away from the world, it would be impossible for any light to remain. But the Lord, by the very order of the creation, bears witness that he holds in his hand the light, which he is able to impart to us without the sun or without the moon. God doesn't just have light. God doesn't just give light. God is light. More on that in a second. So back into verse four, it says that God saw that the light was good. Now, so God surveys his work and he takes pleasure in what he's made. This doesn't mean when it says God saw that the light was good, that he created it. And then he was like surprised, like, oh my gosh, look how great this is. He wasn't shocked by this. He made it. It was complete. He approved of it. He was pleased with it. You didn't need to add any more light to it. It was perfect. And so he affirms this. He sees that the light is good. And then it says that God separated the light from the darkness. And here we see in Genesis chapter 1, the mission of God already being revealed. That anywhere there is darkness, the light would invade it. Anywhere there is darkness, the light would invade it. And so the gospel is already beginning to come forward. Anywhere there is darkness, light will invade it. This is where we already begin to see Jesus. Well, how do we see Jesus? Well, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. Look with me in John chapter one. Again, we've already seen that the spirit of God was present. In John chapter one, verse one, John writes, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And we know that John is referring to Jesus. So let's just read it that way. In the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John declares, Jesus came to invade the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome him. Turn just over one page into some scripture that you're pretty familiar with here, John 3, 16. Let's read that, but let's read forward what Jesus has to say along with that to Nicodemus. You know what he says in John three sixteen? for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And remember the, what's being said here, because I don't think we think about it in these terms, that Nicodemus, who's come to Jesus, if Nicodemus is understanding all that Jesus is saying here, he's understanding that Jesus is saying, hey, Nicodemus, God loved you so much that he sent me. Here I am. God loved the world so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but, he ha- but have eternal life. Verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And of course, John eight twelve, which we read several times throughout Christmas, Jesus further affirms this by saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says throughout, affirms throughout the gospels, I am the light and I have come to lead people out of darkness. I have not just come to give light or to share light because I have some light. I am the light. So again, This is as if God said in the beginning, hey, Jesus, why don't you put a little bit of yourself out there? Let there be light. Jesus was present at creation. The spirit was present at creation. Jesus is already affirming everywhere there is darkness I've come to invade it. Turn with me into 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. These are the scriptures that we read on Christmas Eve. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. John says, This is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God is light. God is perfect. God is holy. God is righteous. 
God's light is to expose the truth. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. You and me, we, we know that if you cut all the lights off in this whole room and we just turned on one light, we lit one candle that you would see that candle. Anytime light comes up against darkness, light is going to win. If we walk with God, if we follow Jesus, we can't go on walking in sin and darkness. They are incompatible. And John says to us, what Paul has said to us, what Peter declares to us, what Jesus said, you cannot follow me and go on walking in darkness because I have come to deliver you out of darkness. But now what on earth does this have to do with Genesis chapter one? It has everything to do with Genesis chapter one because the first time God chose to speak, what he said is, let there be light. And he separated the light from the darkness so that thousands of years later, you and I would be here and understand that Jesus came to do that exact same thing in our lives, to separate the light from the darkness because you and I were born into darkness and God initiated it coming after us, pursued us in the midst of our rebellion, found us, called us, redeems us so that we might have hope. But see now, don't miss the purpose of why. We're not in here this morning at the brook because we're like the select group. Too bad for all those guys out there with no hope. No. God says, I've created the light. I've sent the light. I've led you out of darkness that you might go and shine that light. But I want to encourage you this morning that in in a moment, we're going to spend just a few minutes praying Maybe this morning you and I need to go back to the beginning of creation and maybe what we need to pray is, Lord, in my life, I'm asking you today, separate the light from the darkness. See, I have a feeling that maybe you're like me some days of your life and that you have this tendency to drift back toward the darkness. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I know that there are days of my life where I find myself basically, if you just want to boil it down, worshiping idols because I'm not anywhere close to content with what God's given me. And I think that I need more of this and more of this and more of this. And then I'll finally be happy. And I'm like a hamster on a wheel. Just going as hard as I can, because if I just get that thing, I'm going to be happy. And when I lay down in bed at night, I'm less content than I was before. Why? Because I've exhausted myself worshiping things that are dead and meaningless. There are days of my life I worship food. I know that might sound weird to you, but some of you do it too. 
There's a reason why we do these resolution things. It's because we worship idols. It's because God came to separate the light from the darkness and somehow I've allowed myself to drift back toward the darkness. You know, resolutions, whatever, go for it. I'm behind you. But understanding that Jesus came so that you and I might walk in what Paul calls newness of life, that's better. That I can wake up every morning and I can preach the gospel to myself. But friends, I want to encourage you this morning. It begins with the confession and the repentance of sin in my own life. See, if you go back into 1 John chapter 1, Verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're walking around like a blind person in the dark saying, I'm good, I'm good. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to encourage you in just a moment to give God the opportunity to reveal to you maybe where you've drifted back into the darkness and let your response be not only one of confession, but of repentance. Repentance is not only the recognition of God, I realize that this is the way you have called me to go and I've been going this way. Repentance is turning around and going that way toward God. Repentance requires action on our part. Sometimes repentance for you and for me requires that we're humble enough that we share with a brother or sister in Christ I've been drifting back into darkness in my life and I need you to walk with me to keep me from that. I would ask you this morning, is there something in your life that you're trying to keep hidden? Because if you are, that's not the way of God. God said, let there be light and he separated the light from the darkness. He came to expose what you and I would attempt to keep hidden because when we try to keep things hidden, we're not living as we're created to live. Is there still sin living in you that Jesus came to deliver you out of? Today, not because it's New Year's Day, but because Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead is a great day for you to go, it's time to begin again. I want to ask you to bow your head. I just want to read these words again this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God.
Lord, we ask you this morning to separate the light from the darkness in our lives. Lord, we ask you this morning, as David did in Psalm 139, search our hearts. Lord, that you would test our thoughts. Father, that you would see if there's anything in our life that is leading us away from you. Bring us to that realization. Bring us to repentance that we might turn and walk in the way everlasting. Lord, we pray that you would shine that light into our lives. So that, Lord Jesus, we would do and we would be what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be. The light of the world. God, we thank you that you spoke. We pray that you would give us hearts and ears to hear. Lord, we thank you for new beginnings. We thank you for a fresh start. Lord, we thank you that we have been brought from death to life. We thank you that our sins have been forgiven because of what you've done, Lord Jesus, through your death and your resurrection. just a moment, we're going to respond. Um, We're all going to respond to God. It's just a question of how. So I encourage you this morning to respond to him honestly. Respond to him obediently. We're going to sing a song of, of declaration, of crying out to the Lord to transform our hearts, our minds. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, some of our pastors, our leaders are going to be in the back at the tables. They would love to talk with you, pray with you, share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. If you need to come to the steps or the foot of the cross and pray, I encourage you to come. Lord, we exalt you this morning. We just proclaim you are King of kings, Lord of lords. You are the light of life. You are the light of the world. Be glorified and honored as we worship you. stand together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.